you would please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to Mark chapter 12. As I mentioned a few moments ago, we're in the last few verses of Mark 12. As we turn to God's word, let's turn to him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, indeed, you are our good shepherd. We pray and ask, Father, that you would feed your gathered people now through your word and by your spirit. Father, would you be pleased to open our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts that we would know what we are to believe about you and also what duty you ask of your people. And Father, as we seek to put into practice what is before us, would we do it in a humble reliance upon the grace of Jesus Christ. Father, may your word before us be our rule, your Holy Spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Some of you may be familiar with the expression that is the title of today's sermon. All gave some, some gave all. Well, that phrase is thought to originate with an Ohio native who fought and was wounded in the Korean War. As he made an observation while being tended to his wounds that uh, whereas uh, everyone there gave something, some gave all they had, gave their lives. However, this phrase has become a little bit more popular and well-known through a 1992 album titled, Some Gave All, by a singer-songwriter from Eastern Kentucky. I mean, how great is it to start a sermon with Ohio and Kentucky? Now, sometimes I'll quote from a singer-songwriter from West, East, Western Kentucky, but this songwriter comes from Eastern Kentucky, believe it or not, a suburb of Ashland, Flatwoods, Kentucky. Now listen to these words from the song of the same title from the album. It starts off like this. I knew a man called him Sandy Kane. Few folks even knew his name, but a hero, yes, was he. Left a boy, came back a man. Still many just don't understand about the reasons we are free. I can't forget the look in his eyes or the tears he cried as he said those words to me. All gave some, some gave all. Some stood through the red, white, and blue, and some had to fall. And if you ever think of me, think of all your liberties and recall, some gave all. I believe this will provide a good introduction to what we will see as Jesus leaves the temple today. For the past few weeks, we've seen Jesus as he entered Jerusalem on what we now call Palm Sunday. And remember, he was welcomed. But soon when he entered the temple, Jesus was opposed. He was bombarded with opposition from the religious leadership of Israel who sought to undermine his ministry, to discredit his teaching, and to ultimately destroy him, which they did, or so they thought. Now, two weeks ago, we learned in verse 34 
that after that last time of interaction with the scribe, the scribe who was close, not far from the kingdom, that no one dared to ask Jesus any more questions. Now, last week in verses 35 through 40 of chapter 12, we saw that Jesus continued teaching on the most important commandment of all, to love God. And the second one that comes along with it, that being to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, you may recall, did this by asking a question. Jesus asked a question about his identity. And he also did that by issuing a warning. A warning to the scribes, to the people, to beware of the scribes. Now, these solemn words of warning signaled the end of Jesus' public teaching in Mark. Jesus will now move on to focus exclusively on teaching his disciples. And whereas the crowd was warned against the disciples not to be like them, nor to admire them, the disciples would be told to notice the widow's example. And so it is to this poor widow, this poor widow's example that we now turn. Join with me as I read our text, but I'm going to begin with verse 38. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greeting in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogues and the best places of honor at feast, who devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And now our text for today. And he, that is Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. You'll notice that the... uh, outline is blank. Well, it's very simple. It's a two-part outline. First, the observation of Jesus, verses 41 through 43. And second, the message of Jesus, verse 44. First, the observation of Jesus. Jesus, again, is leaving the temple area, but he stops on his way out to what's called the court of women, where anyone could come in Access was available to all. And he sits down, as we read, opposite the treasury. Notice that as Jesus sits down, he is very active. He's watching. And what he sees is many rich people putting their offerings into the offering box. But Jesus also notices. He notices one Poor widow. As you heard and read along with that text, I I hope you could see 
through Mark's description, kind of what is taking place here. Mark is very detailed here. Often Mark is fast-paced and he goes by things in a hurry, but here Mark slows down and provides great detail. It's not just a widow, it's a poor widow. Now, widowhood in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, today, widowhood is often meant poverty and suffering. Your provider there was gone and you might have children to support on your own. It's, it's a poor widow. It's almost something that doesn't need to be said and yet Mark includes it. She's a poor widow. Mark talks about the offering box and what we believe at that time there were 13 trumpet-like um, receptacles on the temple wall which had a description as to what the offering was going to go to and there were 13 trumpet-like receptacles and and the, the wealthy came in and deposited their wealth and there's no paper money at this time and so you hear the coins going in and here this woman we read two small copper coins the word mark is using is a, is a jewish but he goes on to translate also for his Roman Gentile audience because we believe Mark is writing to Christians in and around Rome. This one penny. Now kids, did you know these days that pennies cost more to produce than they're worth? Did you know that it costs more than a penny to make a penny? But you know what? If you have a jar full of pennies, what happens? That's more and more money, right? Well, you know how much a penny was worth at this time? One sixty-fourth of a denarius. Now, what's a denarius? It's all your money for a day's worth of work. So you work all day and you get one denarius, kind of like one dollar for your whole day's work. And Mark is saying that this poor widow put in one sixty-fourth of a day's labor. Now, you can argue about minimum wage and whether this, that, or the other, but 164th of a day's wage, kids, is that a lot of money or not much money? Come on, not much money, but it's so detailed. Remember, Mark set us up for this widow. Why in his description of the scribes and how they devour widows' housing? See, the widow and the orphan children in the Old Testament had a special place, not only in God's eye and God's heart, but also amongst God's people. God's people were to take care of the widows and the orphans. And yet, what did we see these religious leaders, these scribes doing? They were taking advantage of. They were swindling. They were defrauding. They were, in the words of the, the scriptures, devouring widows' houses. And so there's a great contrast Mark is setting up between the scribes and this poor widow, but also the super religious Pharisees and this woman of quiet devotion. And these skeptical, sophisticated Sadducees whom Jesus argued about, about the resurrection. Here is this poor widow being contrasted. Now, while all of the scribes and others make a point of being seen as being pious, remember long prayers, they like the best seats. Here, 
Jesus sees a poor widow quietly giving. And Jesus watches her and Jesus declares that this widow gave more. We see it. Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. If you read that closely, it's she puts in more than everyone combined. Not just more individually, but more than everyone. And like the wealthy, she had a choice about giving. And she chose to give all that she had. It's interesting, again, going back to Bark's detail. He says, she put in two small copper coins. Children, she had two coins. She could have put in one and kept the other. She put in both into the offering, into the treasury. Jesus sits, but Jesus watches. He watches the multitude. He watches the individual. Because our lives, our giving, is always done in the sight of Jesus. We think our lives are seen by others, and to be sure, they are. I mean, think about advertising and how one of its angles is you want to look good in front of others. We often orient our lives to be seen by man, to receive acclaim and praise and honor and respect. But remember, we read in 1 Samuel 16, whereas man looks only at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. Here, God, Jesus is not looking for the appearance of faith, but he's looking for the substance of faith. And after speaking about the living and active word of God, the author to the letter to the Hebrews says this, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And if Jesus, as John makes clear, is the word made flesh, the living word. In the presence of Jesus, everything is exposed. Everything is uncovered. Jesus observes And his main observation is this. If you had to narrow it down to one statement, this is what Jesus observes. This poor widow gave more. With this declaration that this poor widow put in more, Jesus now gives a riddle of sorts for his disciples to puzzle over. Now, if you're like me, when you read and hear that statement... You're kidding. She gave more? What? Well, Jesus doesn't wait long before he explains to his disciples what it was exactly that he saw. Here in this explanation of her action and in the observation that Jesus makes, he will reverse the perspective of the disciples. Because now we move on from the observation of Jesus to the message of Jesus. Here we see 
divine accounting. What kind of math is Jesus using? I remember growing up, I uh, would need help with my math homework. And uh, my dad, I will remember this, anytime I approached my dad for help with math, he said, you know what? You're learning the new kind of math, and I learned the old kind of math, and I'm not so sure I can help you with the new kind of math. Um, That was a really long way of saying, you know what, go to somebody else for help with math. And, And in a sense, this is a new kind of math. What kind of math is Jesus using? And we will see that divine math works differently than our accounting practices. Now, all CPAs, I believe, are required to do business according with generally accepted accounting practices. And God will do his accounting based on his accounting practices as well. And so what Jesus' message is primarily this. This is a picture of true discipleship. Remember in chapter 8, there's the confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, and it's shortly followed by the call to discipleship. Well, Jesus, just like he did with blind Bartimaeus, is singling out this poor, unnamed widow and saying, this is a picture of true discipleship. Just like Bartimaeus Jesus picks another nobody to highlight what it means to follow him. It wasn't that she gave more in terms of amount, but she gave everything. She gave all, and you hear those exact words. Well, what does her quiet, not drawing attention to herself action show us? I believe her giving These two small copper coins. I believe this action shows us at least three things. First, her love for the Lord. Here's this unnamed poor widow. And she grasps the principle of wholehearted love for God. Remember when Jesus was asked the question, what is the most important commandment of all? And how did he respond? To love God. The Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. This woman is demonstrating wholehearted love for God. What does loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength look like? I believe it looks quite a bit like this. It's hard, as we know, to obey God's commandments. And that's one reason I think the scribe asked him, what's the most important of all? Because, hey, if I could do the most important, then maybe I can forget about the others. But we saw that this one commandment, to love God and then to love your neighbor as yourself, it's all-encompassing. It includes all of the Ten Commandments, which then includes all of life. And recognizing that you can't do that, of course, is what drives you to a Savior. Here she is as a picture of wholehearted love for God. Does your life paint that picture also? Would a story about your life 
come to that same conclusion. Second, not only does this look like love for the Lord, but second, dependence upon the Lord. She is trusting in his promises to provide. She gives all to God's treasury. And as a result, she becomes what? Totally dependent upon the Lord, upon his people for her life. She not only loves the Lord, but she is dependent upon the Lord. And for folks living in a country whose one of its major documents is a declaration of independence, we have to be unwired from this idea of being independent and be rewired as Christians that we are absolutely 100% of the time dependent upon the Lord. And she is showing that. She's showing love for the Lord, dependence upon the Lord. And third, she is showing commitment to the Lord. All the rich, we imply, gave some, some, this poor widow gives all. It was a total commitment, not just financially, but her finances were so wedded to who she was that she committed herself personally. In other words, what she is giving, Mark is drawing attention to what he had written back in Mark 8, where Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's, it's a full and total commitment. But don't feel sorry for this poor widow, because she was so secure and so confident in God's promises that she let it all go. Jesus is looking for faith. And he found it here. God was, for this woman, more precious to her than anything. She lost herself for God's sake. How about you right now? What is precious to you? As we talked about in our Sunday school class in terms of idolatry, that good definition of something that you think you couldn't live without. Is God, is God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, so precious to you, so valuable to you, such a treasure that everything else, job security, financial status, relationship um, status is all pale in comparison to knowing the living and true God. Before we move on, a few words about our giving that's addressed in this story. First, it's to be measured by proportion, not by addition. She gave more because she gave everything. She gave her life. And secondly, our giving is not to be measured by amount, but by sacrifice. Did you notice that this gift she gave cost her? There was a cost. And she was willing to pay the cost. And third, and we've already mentioned this before, our giving is always in the sight of Jesus Christ. Whether it's our time whether it's our talents, 
whether it's our treasure. It's all given in the sight of Jesus Christ because at the end of the day, it's his evaluation that matters, not the evaluation of men. It's his accounting practices that set the standard, not man's accounting standards. Well, we've noted here in our text what the widow did. According to the observation of Jesus, she gave more. More than all the others. And how was it that she gave more? She gave more by giving everything she had and by giving all that she had to live on. Children, you know that it's dangerous to say always and never. But it's also very appropriate when it's true. She gave everything She gave all. But you know what? We're not told why. Why did she give everything? Why did she give all? I believe it's this. Because she knew the promises of God. She believed them. And she took action in response to them. She knew by faith what Paul would later declare to the church in Corinth, that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. She knew by faith something that was read earlier. She knew by faith the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for her sake became poor, so that she by his poverty might become rich. She knew She must give as she made up her mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And she may have been quiet and unassuming and obviously not trying to attract attention, but you've got to believe she gave cheerfully. And Paul continues there and says, And God is able to make all grace abound to her, so that having all sufficiency in all things, she may, be, she may abound in every good work. This unnamed poor widow knew by faith that it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. And friends, as we see in our text, in no uncertain terms, Jesus commends this woman. Remember the song that we started off by quoting? Remember the title? All gave some, some gave all. Well, when examined in the light of God's word, the words of the song that we quoted at the beginning come up short. Because in the final analysis, all gave some, some gave all, is not accurate. Because there needs to be a new song. And there is a new song that's written. And this songwriter... It's not from Eastern Kentucky. This songwriter is from all eternity. Because actually, there has been only one who has ever given all. It's not even this widow. Only one 
who in his life perfectly obeyed God's law and in his death completely satisfied God's justice and fully exhausted God's wrath. Only one. There has been and there will only ever be one who is able to remove the curse of sin and rescue us from death and reconcile us to God. My friends, whereas all may give some, there is only one who gave all. And Jesus is drawing our attention to him in this text. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge along with the hymn writers that it is sweet to trust in Jesus, to take him at his word, to rest upon his promise just to know, thus saith the Lord. Father, indeed, it is sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust in his cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge us beneath the healing, cleansing flood. Oh, Father, it is sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Oh, Father, we are so glad we've learned to trust him. Precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And we know, Father, that he is with us and he will be with us to the end. But, oh, Father, may the words now echo the cry of our heart. Jesus, Jesus, how we trust him, how we've proved him o'er and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Father, would you be pleased to grow us in our love for you, our dependence upon you, our commitment to you. Father, may our lives display someone who knows the one who gave up everything for his people. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.